We are starting a new series today. Uh, we are going to be, over the next six weeks, going through the book of Philippians. And this book is interesting because the author, Paul, is in a very vulnerable spot when it comes to his life. Now, we have been studying Romans for the past, uh, I think, five weeks, and this is the same author. And even though this is the same author of the person we just studied for five weeks, we can see that this is a very different mindset that we see this author in. So almost a final charge that he wants to write to his people. He realizes that he has been imprisoned a lot of times in his life, but for some reason, he feels that this one might be the last. So we see this change in his heart. So my question today for you all is this. How far will you let your faith in Jesus take you? When you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you start this journey that allows you to open your eyes to opportunities to share Jesus. Now, there's a great opportunities that come up that you didn't have before to be a promoter of Jesus, whether it's in the workplace and you get to share love of Jesus to those that you interact with on a daily basis. You get to go on mission trips. You get to help people along the road that you have no idea who they are. You get to volunteer in the church. You get to give. You get to take communion and remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And even if you want to take it a little further, there are ministry opportunities as jobs for you if you want to take them. See, many of us feel like it's kind of like a small nudge towards those things. But a lot of people think it's this great push from God. Like God opens up the skies and he says, this is the direction that you need to go. But we know the more we read scripture, the more we become a Christian and move towards Christ, the longer we stay faithful and obedient towards Christ, it seems that our heart is more moving in a direction of love, moving in a direction of sharing Christ that seems so contrary to the natural movement of our life. So how far will you let that nudge take you? At the church, we always talk about the extremes. You know, the person who's doing way too much and is willing to be killed for Christ or who does die for Christ. And then we have the other person on the other side, the person who isn't doing anything for Christ. But in the reality, we're probably all right in the middle of those two. But where is the right place to be? You know, Paul has been on either side of this spectrum, and right now he's trying to communicate to us where that right place is. is does life continue? Does Christian life continue after Sunday mornings like we're gathered here today? Is there more things to, to life than just church and gathering? Is there more money to be given than the ones that I give? Is there, how many mission trips do I need to go on in order to be on the right spot on the spectrum? You know, how many Bible studies do I need to read? How many books do I need to read? How many good Christian conversations do I need to have in my life in order to be on the right spot on the spectrum? The question that you ask when it comes to church has more to do probably with time than anything else. Like, God, there's 24 hours in a day. How many hours goes to you, God? That leads me to my main point today. 
Advancing the gospel does not require your time. It requires your entire life. If you'd like to read along with me today, we're going to be in Philippians 1, 12 through 26. If you want to open up your Bibles, it's towards the end of the Bible. If you're in the Bible app and go under events, uh, Elevate Christian Church should be at the very top of your list. My whole outline is on there and you can read there. If you don't have any of those, you have no desire, all the information should be on the screen behind you. But here is what Paul says in Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all to, to more proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity. Most that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul wants everybody that is reading this letter, the letter going to Philippi, he wants everybody to understand why he's in jail. They have probably heard that Paul has been in jail for a long time as the letter slowly progressed to this place. But he wanted everybody to understand that he is in jail because he preached Christ and Christ alone and nothing else. It wasn't because he was murdering people. It wasn't because he was being abusive to people. It wasn't because he was abusing funds or trying to fight the government. He was in there because he wanted everybody to understand that there is freedom in Christ. Because of this, other people have been encouraged. And they see that just because you preach Christ, it is known by the government that this is a bad thing. The government did not want people to find freedom in Christ, but wanted to rely on the government. And they thought it was excellent that somebody, one person, just preaching Christ would be thrown in jail. They knew in that moment, moment it was so important that they continued because if just one person is preaching Christ and they're thrown in, jail, thrown in jail, then they know it's a big deal. But there is an opposite side to this. There's people who say that they were stirring up trouble for Paul. That there's two types of people from this. That those who continue to preach because of their love for Paul. And there's those who still love Jesus But because Paul is in jail, they have taken the opportunity to take advantage of their personal platform. That there are so many people that decide to follow Paul as he follows Christ. Paul encourages that in other letters. But because Paul is in jail and they cannot get to Paul, there has been other leaders that have sprung up and said, why don't you follow me as I have followed Christ? And you see this vulnerable side of Paul where he kind of struggles with that. 
he kind of opens that up to, to, to the air and says, there are people right now that say that you should follow me rather than Paul. But Paul says something rather radical at the end. That he says, it doesn't matter. Because of this, I rejoice. Whether people want to bring up their own platform because of Christ and the power that it has, or because they love me, it doesn't matter because Christ is preached. And we see Paul's true heart here because it says he doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Paul is losing followers because another person's preaching. It doesn't matter if he is personally being injured, if he is personally being sentenced to death, if he is being flogged and beaten every single day. It doesn't matter. He is willing to endure it because he knows people are going to find freedom in Christ because of what people are going to say. Paul understands that there is nothing on this earth that matters more than Christ. Man, talk about church hurt here, guys. There are people in his community that decide to take followers away from Paul and speak against Paul and say maybe he is not doing the right thing and encourage the beating of him in prison. It's like the quarterback that goes on the sideline for being injured going into the Super Bowl game. And all the sports news stations rip into the old quarterback saying that the new guy is so much better. This team's going to win the Super Bowl because the old quarterback got hurt and the new, the new quarterback is going to lead them to victory in the Super Bowl. And sure enough, the new quarterback that's not injured takes them and they win the Super Bowl. And then the new stations circle back around and they go, how does it feel that the person behind you the lesser quarterback, the second string quarterback, led them to victory in the Super Bowl. And the injured quarterback is happy because the team won. Anything to promote the team. This is the situation that Paul is in. He has a choice to either be hurt and just kind of shrivel away in jail or to get on the team's back with them, no matter what situation he's in, and promote the team. See, at what cost do you advance the gospel? The sidelines for a season can make you feel unwelcomed in church. It can make you feel unwelcome in your community. Sometimes it only takes two weeks of missing regular fellowship with your brothers and sisters as you go on vacation. Sometimes life situations just put you on the sideline for a moment, such as having a kid, such as having a loss in the family when you take time to mourn. Those are all good things and need to happen, but there is a moment in time where isolation comes in your life. Just because of the environment that we're a part of, it doesn't matter we still have a job to do in our faith. It doesn't matter what circumstances that come among us, we need to have the same mindset and the same heart that Paul has. Some of us, because of our environment we're put in, 
we believe, we truly believe that it is necessary for us individually to produce something at all times. You know, we have a, we, we have a job. We, 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 we take this at school. Like, we are promoted and we are encouraged by the things that we do in our life. Whether it's your job, whether it's at school, whether it's even a project that's online, we always come around and find joy and find ownership and find purpose in the things that we can produce. So if there's something where a family or a job or a group project continues to increase and move forward, even though you can't necessarily do your part or you don't have a part in it at all, you have an opportunity to decide whether you're going to sit there and mope and say, well, the project just didn't get any better because I wasn't a part of it. Or you can say, go team. When it comes to advancing the gospel, we can't look at it as envy. We can't look at other people as they go on mission trips or as they have great opportunities to give or great opportunities to help or great opportunities to preach in bigger and better crowds or play on stages of thousands and thousands of people, but we jump on the team and say, yay team. We don't look at each other with envy, but we look at, yes, it is promoting the gospel. Paul continues on, Philippians 1, 19 through 26, and says this, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Holy Spirit, oh, sorry, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have significant courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is, is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what do I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. Something that Paul, I think, learned in this moment as he watches his, his followers go away and continue to do ministry as he sits in jail, as he sees some of his understudies that he has been teaching to preach and to promote the gospel continue to go without his leading, I think he understands that the most destruction thing that he could do for his life is comparison. That the, the most destructive thing moving forward that will destroy anything in your life is comparison. See, Paul has a choice. Do I give into the ways of the world, comparing of what everybody else is doing and elevating myself above others? Or do I rejoice in the victories of my brothers and sisters who are continuing in faith without me? Do I rejoice even though I sit in my sorrows because of jail, but I know that my peers are running around sharing that there is freedom in Christ and having all the fun in the world? 
I think Paul in this moment understands that he can't give any more time. That the only thing that he can give is his life. That when you're in a situation where time is not able to be given, that you still need to give your life to Christ. Just because Paul's in prison, it doesn't mean that he gets to clock out. He just gets to be in a different role in his life. See, the world is not consistent. It is ever-changing, and the people say that it's evolving, is what people say. Eventually, it will continue to evolve away from, from Christ because Satan is in control of this world. And naturally, it will drift away from what Christ preaches and what we see in Scripture. The more the world will push things on us, the more Scripture, the more worship, the more giving, the more Jesus will be labeled as uncool. It will be labeled as destructive. But Paul says this in response. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have significant, significant courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter where you are, Jesus can be shown. No matter who you're talking to, Jesus can be shown. No matter what decision you have to make in your life, there is always a decision that is Jesus. And we need to choose that. Paul learned a valuable lesson in here that at the end of the day, when we give our life to Christ, it's God's will that should be done and not my will be done. And you learn that God's will does not bring comfort on your life. That, 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 that God's will probably remove you from comfort even more than you want. I've never shared this story before, but I'd like to share a, a, a moment in my ministry that kind of came to the head where I became uncomfortable in Christ. See, when I, was in, when I was in college, I was trying to overcompensate when it came to ministry. Because all of my peers and all the people that were graduating had been, in, had been in church their entire life. And I'd only been in church for about a year and a half. So I was like, man, I'm behind the eight ball. i got to try to take as many volunteer opportunities as I can. Try to take as many discipleship opportunities as I can just to catch up to all my peers who are leaving to go into the ministry. I had friends that would share about mission trips and about, about volunteer opportunities and about camp, and I just sat there in amaze, and I'm like, man, I want those opportunities. So I immediately jumped in the second week of, of school and joined an organization called Youth for Christ. And there's a lot of different organizations just like this, but this is just specific to um, our chapter in Tennessee. And what we would do is we'd go into the schools, and we kind of have like a small group for the kids. Almost like a small youth ministry, like a 30-minute like one. We'd play games, we'd sing songs, and we would teach a small lesson. But this specific town that I was placed in, I didn't get to decide where I went, 
was a town called Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And that's right out of uh, Knoxville. You might see the exit as you're driving down to Knoxville, but it's still like an hour and a half away. Like it's, it, the exit is deceiving. So I would drive an hour once a week, and we would go. And I remember going up to this school for the very first time. And the school was old. It was beaten down. The front doors barely locked. There was broken windows in the school. And thousands of kids would pour into this place. And I realized for the very first time that I was interacting with kids that were in legit poverty. That when we brought uh, t-shirts for them that said Youth for Christ, we're like, we just need you to pay $3. And all of, them, all of them looked at us and said, we don't have that. And my parents don't have it. And I remember for the very first time, I learned what having a big heart looked like. That I watched these kids that had nothing have more joy in their life than, than somebody where I had everything. The next summer, I volunteered at a local camp that I was really excited about. I was, I was looking, back, looking forward to going back to the camp where I found Christ and where I decided to go into ministry, and I couldn't wait to pour back in the kids as the volunteers poured into me. But what I learned really quickly as I went to this camp, it was for young kids, I think it was uh, before kindergarten. I was so looking forward to this. And the dean placed a special needs kid with me the entire week that needed help with everything. And I watched as my peers went swimming and went on the zip line and went on the rock wall and got to play all these special games with these kids running around and having a great time. And I got placed with this special needs kid that needed help with everything. And for the first day, I was in a bad mood. And I was walking hand in hand with this kid, and we walked past these giant swings, and he had the biggest smile on his face. And he pulled away from my hand and ran towards the swings, and he couldn't communicate, but he started smacking the seat on the swings and looking at me and pointing and pointing. So I put him on the swings, and from 9 o'clock till 5 o'clock, with a nap break, and with eating breaks, breakfast and lunch, we swang, and I pushed him. And I learned in that moment that even though I was uncomfortable, I learned what true, true joy was, which was going to camp and swinging. The following semester, um, I got a call from the exact same camp that they had so many more kids on this, this mid-fall break uh, week at camp that they needed more volunteers, and, they, and I told him I would help if they needed some. I didn't really want to help, but they called me. So I was like, yes, I said I would come. So I drove during my fall break, and I went to this camp for four days. And when I got there, I quickly was informed that this is not a camp that they normally have, but this is a camp for kids that have been pointed out by the school system that they are destined to be criminals, that they are destined to be in gangs, they're destined to make poor decisions, whether they're following their family's footsteps or they're just really bad kids in school, and they know the pattern, so they're going to probably go to jail in the next couple years. And these were elementary school kids. And I was placed in a room with two kids, and I quickly realized that these two kids were a part of different gangs. 
and they literally wanted to kill each other. They got in screaming arguments, they tried to punch each other in the face, they did threats, and by the end of the week, they were best friends. That when you remove the sin and the anger of the world, that Jesus can really make an impact in somebody's life. In my final internship, I interned at a a church called Broadway Christian Church, which is right behind Rupp Arena as you go into town. And we did so many uh, ministry opportunities with inner city kids. And it was so, so difficult. These kids grew up exactly the opposite of the way that I did. And I had to find a way to interact and encourage and have fun with these kids from 9 to 5 every single day. And these kids, after the very first day, I realized that there was something different. The main thing that was different about the way they grew up and the way I grew up is that there was a big chunk of kids that when it was time to be picked up from this camp at Broadway Christian Church, their parents didn't show up. Nowhere to be found. And when we called their parents' cell phones, they didn't answer. And when we tried to knock on their doors, they didn't answer. And when a second grader looks at you and says, you know, my my mom's probably just asleep. And I I know the entrance to the back door. And you just have to let the kid go. I mean, yeah, you can call the cops or whatever, but you can't really do anything. And you just see, like, the joy that they had all day just you know, completely be depleted by the choices of their parents. I learned that when you take people and you place Jesus in front of them and you tell them that Jesus can give them freedom, that that means more than any situation us adults can ever be in. That means more than any uncomfortable situations that I've ever been in. And I remember after my final internship, I, was, I had one more semester, and then I could get a big boy job being a youth minister, big boy job being a youth minister. I remember getting on my knees in my dorm room right before I graduated, and I said, God, is it going to be easier now? God, please make my next decision, the next church that I get to be a part of for how many years that you want me to be there, please make it easier. I've done the difficult stuff. And I took a job at a small church as a youth minister, and then shortly after, I inherited the roles of children's minister as well and became a family minister. And my goal was to train and equip the volunteers and give them structure so that I could pass it on later on. And as soon as I took that children's ministry job, the church exploded with foster and adoptive kids, where 40% of my youth and children's ministry were adoptive and foster care kids. And these were not normal foster care kids. If there's three levels, these were number four. And right before I wanted to quit, I was on my way to go talk to my lead minister after Sunday morning to say, look, I think it's best if we find a children's minister now. I'll take a smaller salary if I need to, but I just can't do it anymore. Because that day was the hardest day, because I just got back from camp, where this kid named Bradley Uh, was threatening everybody, and he threatened to take a stick and stab me in the eye when I was sleeping. And we made it through the week, and I brought him home, and we we had church service the next day, and he ran up and punched a pregnant lady in the stomach. 
and the, pregnant, the, the lady who was pregnant said she was fine, but I just had enough. And after that hard day, I was walking out towards the church, and that kid ran past his foster parents, ran past every security person, all the volunteers that should have stopped him, and grappled his arms around my waist and says, I love church, and I'm thankful for you, Pastor Rob. And I remember going back to my office and saying, God, it's your will. Your will is better. Your will is way better than any will that I could ever come up with. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. To advance the gospel, we have to literally let go of ourselves and be rooted so much in Jesus that it is only his will that comes out of us. Jesus had a conversation with his disciples right before he was crucified. And the disciples had been watching Jesus for, for about two and a half years now. And they had watched as Jesus removed himself from the disciples to have a conversation with his father. And you can see that the disciples kind of longed for that relationship that Jesus had with his father. And they asked the question, hey Jesus, can you teach us to pray? And Jesus goes on and on about how you should pray and how it's contrary to the things that they've already seen. And they, have to, they have to unlearn basically all of the motives and the things they've seen in the Jewish culture and from the pagans, the non-believers. And I think as we end our service today, I think in everything that's going on in this world, in everything that God is sharing with us in Philippians 1, that I think we should stand and recite that prayer that God, or that Jesus shared with his disciples in that moment. The prayer that says, it is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God, you can just give us what we need, but it is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you guys would stand with me today, and as the band comes back up and gets ready. If you don't know the, if you know the Lord's Prayer, we have all learned it in a different way, I know. Some have learned it in Old English, some are a little late, and, and, and have learned it in the new NIV or ESV or whatever thousand translations there are that you prefer in your daily devotional life. If you do not know the Lord's Prayer, that is perfectly okay. The information, the words will be on the screen. So if you guys would say this with me. Our Father, 